Mokara. This is Dr. Corey Wren. I am a sociologist uh, at the University of Kent in Canterbury, England, and I specialize in animals and society more broadly, but more specifically the history of the Western animal rights movement. This mini podcast series is in support of my new book, Animals in Irish Society, to be published with the State University of New York Press in 2001. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about the Great Famine, Angorta Moor. There's many famines actually under British colonization, but obviously this one became so infamous because of the just widespread casualties associated with it. So before we get going, I'm gonna pour a stiff drink here, a nice Guinness. Guinness was actually uh, promoted during famine times as a uh, affordable, cheap form of nutrition. It's locked down here in England, so my Guinness came in a can. <laughs> so the Great Famine is remembered for the horrendous suffering at such a huge scale. Over a million people starved to death, succumbed to illness, and another million emigrated for want of work, want of home, want of food. Many of those people died on what they called coffin ships, crammed tightly into overpacked ships full of refugees to places like the United States or Canada. So in this episode, I want to talk a little bit about the food politics associated with um, the Great Famine and the, uh, the, the food, the sustained people, and also the experience of non-human animals. With colonization really beginning with gusto, British colonization that is, in the late 1500s, uh, one of the ways that the Irish were finally defeated, if you will, uh, was through the privatization of land. And so this is really the, the, the ancient history of the Troubles really beginning then with the insertion of Protestants from Scotland and elsewhere into the northern part of Ireland, and basically just giving up land, taking land away from the indigenous peoples and giving it away to supporters of the crown. Now, the unfortunate uh, consequence of this is that it, it well, the, intention, the intentional consequence of this is a widespread disempowerment um, of the people. They could no longer make a living off the land. They didn't have um, full rights to their own land anymore. They became tenant farmers. Most of the land had to be now cultivated for the British crown. So there was a lot of loss of property rights, a lot of uh, loss of um, independence and stability. A lot of the people were pushed off their land also just to make way for, for cows and sheep and other um, agricultural pursuits. But this is really at the heart of it. It was a, this was a colonization effort that was really premised on the uh, expansion, not just of col uh, colonial power or British power, but an expansion of animal agriculture. I actually prefer the Irish name for the Great Famine, Angorta Moor, the Great Hunger, because this was about hunger, not necessarily famine. In fact, there was more food being produced during the series of famines that hit Ireland in the 1700s and the 1800s um, that really not in any other point because so much of the land had been diverted to food production to feed the colonies. So there are accounts of 
carts packed full of food passing down lanes out to be exported, passing by uh, starving people, desperate, uh, desperate for any kind of uh, sustenance. Some people slumped over on the sides of the road with green smeared around their mouths where they'd been eating grass just to stay alive. I don't know if this is true, but I have heard this is one of the reasons why green is associated with Ireland. And there's lots of reasons that could be. Uh, it may simply be because it's such a lush green place. Um, but it's also been said that because they had the green smeared around their mouths and just became associated with them. Actually, the national color of Ireland is blue. It's not green. Um, also, in the very hungry, hungry months of summer, height of summer, before Lunasa and the harvest, um, cabbage was one of the vegetables that could be eaten um, before the big harvest when, when foodstuffs were running quite low. Uh, in fact, some sources have claimed that the people ate so much cabbage at that time, a time sometimes called the month of the cabbage, or mi nekvasht, that their skin would turn green, um, a, a pale green hue, and perhaps that also could be why green is associated with Ireland. Of course, all these stories you can't really verify, but uh, these were the accounts that were coming out of um, uh, colonial uh, Ireland at the time. So this is a situation, um, it would really be uh, inaccurate to call this a, a famine when so much food production was taking place. In fact, the famous Irish author Tim Pat Coogan has suggested that this is more uh, likened to a genocide. Uh, Britain knew exactly what was going on. There were Malthusian um, ideologies that, took, uh, that dominated at the time and said, well, this is just nature's way. The, the Irish people have outgrown their carrying capacity and disease and hunger is just a way of it rebalancing itself. But of course, this was no act of nature or accident. This was a direct result of colonial practices that uh, made self-sufficiency uh, near impossible for folks. Another issue, of course, is the potato. Um, as people were pushed off their land to make way for cows and sheep and other animals to feed the colonies and industrializing Britain, uh, the rocky, poor soil would be all that's left. And so this is one of the reasons why potatoes uh, became such a staple for the majority of the poor. Potatoes not being native to Ireland, coming from the Americas, but they could grow in the poorest of soil. And so Whereas, if you remember in earlier episodes, I've talked about the rich variety of indigenous Ireland's diet from all sorts of wild-growing plants to cereals to grains, nuts, fungi, seaweeds, fruits. It's a rich variety of different plants and, um, and grains and whatnot. But that all came to an end under colonization because access to land was shut down and more people were pushed over to producing meat and dairy products for, for Britain. And so eventually what happened is that the Irish population lost touch with that indigenous diet, indigenous foodways, indigenous food production techniques, and it created an extra level of vulnerability. So it wasn't just that it was only the potato that was available, it was that, that indigenous knowledge of traditional foodways had been undermined. And this is something that we see happening across the board with various uh, colonized regions. So very famously, when blight hit the potatoes in the 1840s, um, carried by wind, uh, 
the pop the majority of the populace that got the something like 90 percent of their calories from potatoes were uh really really devastated really horrific um prolonged suffering that a lot of people had to deal with um, and many of course didn't even die of starvation they died of disease having been so weakened um, by malnutrition and not to knock the potato but the potato is certainly not going to give you the variety of um, vitamins and minerals that are necessary for a healthy population. Nonetheless, um, potatoes did provide the necessary calories to sustain folks and they're doing a lot of hard heavy labor. And in fact, vegetarian activists of the time pointed to Ireland, the colony of Ireland, and all the hard work that the peasantry was doing there, producing all the food to feed the colonies, and said this is evidence to what a, a hearty vegetarian diet can, can do, sustain sustain a population and sustain um, that type of workforce. Um, nonetheless, the, the, the vegetarian diet that the Irish population was surviving on was not anything comparable to the vegetarian diet uh, indigenous to Ireland. This was a, this was a diet of paucity. This was a diet of, um, of oppression. This was not the rich and varied diet of vegetarian diet of earlier uh, centuries. So the, we can also see evidence of um, disparity in food access through some of the records of um, the big houses and also the workhouses, the poor houses, uh, asylums as well in this era. Um, most of the food that they were eating was bread, potatoes, um, maybe a little bit of milk, maybe a little bit of butter, no meat unless it was a bit of stock kind of uh, dissipated into a big giant bowl of uh, pot of soup. Um, but then in the big houses, in the middle of the height of famine, there was a huge variety of rich animal foods. Um, so obviously this was not a period of famine. There was more than enough food being produced. It was a matter of inequality. And what's happening here is that the Irish people were displaced and oppressed in order to make way for uh, intensified animal agriculture which, as I mentioned, has gone to feed industrializing Britain. So the UK is where the Industrial Revolution began, and it was a hungry machine. And it wasn't just to feed industrializing Britain, it was also to feed the colonial system. So a lot of the meat and dairy that was produced in Ireland was shipped to uh, the Caribbean, for instance, as were many Irish servants. And really, and at that time, were no better than slaves. And in fact, when Irish people who were either forcibly there or went there of their own accord, swayed by the promise of a better life, when they got there and realized that their treatment was no better than people who were legally slaves, many of them actually started to join forces with African slaves, which ultimately led to the, the end of Irish importation. Uh, the colonial leaders were just too uh, wary of um, Irish rebelliousness. So the transatlantic slave system, the transatlantic colonial uh, system, the, which was based on food relations, had everything to do with the oppression of Irish people and the oppression of non-human animals who were killed for meat and dairy. And in the Caribbean, what was the big interest? But sugar. So uh, sugar was then uh, brought back to Ireland to be processed for tea, to, for uses in tea, for rum. 
And of interest also in this time is that um, in order to normalize this mass exportation of Irish people to the colonies for forced labor, it relied a lot on, on animalization, the same kind of animalization that made the colonialization of Ireland possible. And later in the Victorian era, you start to see actual illustrations of Irish people um, as though they were apes or pigs. So it was actually quite tragic that it, and during this great famine, when so many people suffered and so many people died, that the Irish people themselves were blamed for this. And so they were like animals and didn't know how to maintain themselves, that couldn't rule themselves. So obviously the famine was one of the big um, motivators for renewed protest against um, the Irish oppression. And there was a renewed push for land reforms. And ultimately, any time the Irish folks would rise up and say, you know, this is enough is enough. We want self-rule. We want home rule. You would see them depicted as animals, as apes, as pigs who were slovenly and greedy and ungrateful. So there's really a, a dual animalization uh, process going on here. The oppression of Ireland is absolutely 100% predicated on the expansion of animal exploitation, the systematic, institutionalized, widespread violence against non-human animals who are used and killed for food, but also the animalization that makes that possible, that makes it uh, justified for us to treat animals that way, was also applied to the Irish people, the humans. So this whole concept of animality has been highlighted by um, colonial scholars such as Afco, who suggests that this categorization of animal, what it means to be animal, is used to justify all sorts of racial, ethnic, and colonial exploitations and systems of oppression. But there was also, uh, you know, efforts of resistance. As I mentioned, um, there was vegetarian uh, activists who looked at Ireland and said, you know, the, there was promise in the vegetarian diet, but there was also people who said that there's no way that this Irish suffering can ever be relieved unless we tackle this institutionalized animal agriculture. So many vegetarian activists and even some national, Irish nationalists recognized that animal agriculture was key to the suffering of Ireland's people. During the famine itself, there were a number of relief efforts. Great Britain itself was not so keen to, to do much helping, and it was a, a bit of kind of um, willful blindness. And to be fair, there's a lot of suffering in Britain as well. There's a lot of inequality and um, things, terrible things happening to, to women, children, poor people in general in, in Britain. So this is not, you know, Britain just kind of reaping all the rewards while Irish people starved. There were people in Britain who were also starving. Uh, the Industrial Revolution was a great system of inequality for many people. Nonetheless, a lot of re relief efforts were not really coming from England. They were coming from the United States, even Native Americans. Um, other parts of the world were also very interested in, in, in helping out. There was um, some people who were vegetarian reformists in the United States who came over to Ireland to try and help, including um, uh, a woman uh, who ran a vegetarian boarding house in the Five Points District of, the, of New York City, which of course was home to many Irish immigrants. The Quakers uh, also came to Ireland with relief efforts. So they made, uh, would make giant pots of soup to feed communities. Um, obviously, oatmeal became a thing. Oatmeal was a traditional Irish food, but 
uh, it's also been uh, suspected that perhaps the Quakers came there to raise the profile of oatmeal in, in order to um, establish, you know, economic relations there for their own gain. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Some relief efforts were not so successful. So some imports from the United States, such as corn, really didn't make sense to the indigenous Irish diet. Uh, and some people actually got sicker because they didn't know how to cook rice or cornmeal. And uh, many of them lacked proper cooking instruments to begin with because there was such poverty, such absolute poverty. Nonetheless, a lot of this, um, a lot of this relief effort was actually vegetarian. Some some people were able to kind of hearken on that uh, indigenous um, uh, foraging <laughs> and made use of things like not uh, goosefoot, knotweed, nettles, and other wild-growing plants that are rich in vitamins and nutrients. Some relief efforts were based on this idea that it has to have meat in it, it has to have animal flesh in it in order for it to be nutritious which actually added to some problems because many Irish people were devoutly Catholic and would not eat any of this soup that had animal products in it if it was a day of Lent, a day like a Friday, when they weren't supposed to be eating animal products and would just would, would choose starvation over uh, offending their religious commitments. So the legacy of Ireland um, in, in the famine would have larger political ramifications. As I said, it would spur um, increased protests, increased um, calls for home rule, for land reform. And the last bit I wanted to mention here is, you know, th what happened to the non-human animals? So clearly the, the elephant in the room is the millions of non-human animals who were being raised and exploited for, for food production and the suffering they would have experienced would be extreme. During the famine, there was not enough food to go around and oftentimes these animals went without food themselves and were the first to starve. There are some grim reports that families who knew that they were on the brink of death um, would make a pact that the last one surviving would board up the home so that scavenging dogs and other animals wouldn't come in and eat their corpses. Uh, free living animals, of course, were going to be high, highly targeted. Fishes as well, not just land-dwelling animals. Um, there was actually a taboo for some time, or a stigma rather, about eating eels because it was seen as um, uh, a sort of survival diet during during the Great Famine. So at least eels were given a little bit of a break after the famine because of that, that negative association. Um, there's also the practice of bloodletting, blood sausages, uh, and other types of dishes that were prepared with the blood of cows to keep them alive, but also to provide some protein and sustenance for the starving poor. There was also a lot of livestock wrangling that happened at that time, and of course they would have met lethal ends. So you don't want to forget the non-human animals who would have suffered in great, great, great ways um, for one of food themselves or just being produced uh, as food during this great colonial oppressive uh, period in Irish history. Yet the Great Famine, for all its horrors, was also a major point, a major turning point in Irish history. Until next time, slán! <laughs>